I believe in America. I've, I have said that through my own public service. I've, I've demonstrated that. You know, and I believe in humanity. I do. And I believe we always aspire to do better. Welcome to Environmental Insights, a podcast from the Harvard Environmental Economics Program. I'm your host, Rob Stavens, a professor here at the Harvard Kennedy School and director of the Harvard Environmental Economics Program and our project on climate agreements. As listeners know, we feature in this podcast conversations on policy and practice with interesting people who are working at the interface of economics, energy, and the environment whether they're from academia, NGOs, business, or government. My guest today fits that to a T. Vicki Bailey has over 30 years of experience in high-level national and international corporate executive and government positions in the energy sector. I've had the privilege and pleasure of knowing and working with Vicki for more than 20 years, originally as part of a multi-year Harvard energy project. Vicki has served as commissioner of the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, a member of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission appointed by President Bill Clinton, and as president and CEO of PSI Energy, Inc., Indiana's largest electric utility, now Duke, Indiana. Reflecting her bipartisanship, she was appointed by President George W. Bush to be the first assistant secretary of energy for both international affairs and domestic policy. And in the Obama administration, she was appointed by Secretary of Energy Steve Chu to the Blue Ribbon Commission on America's Nuclear Future. And then in 2014, to the National Petroleum Council by Secretary of Energy Ernie Moniz. And she's the founder of Anderson Stratton International, a management advisory services. Finally, she has served on numerous corporate and nonprofit boards, including the Board of Directors of Resources for the Future, the Washington-based think tank, which has brought Vicki and me together again over the past several years. I'll tell you, I'm exhausted having described all of that, and it represents less than 20% of her professional biography. So I'm going to stop there and just say, Vicki, welcome to Environmental Insights. Thank you. Uh, Rob, you're such a dear friend, and I am so glad to be able to be here with you today. I'm interested to hear, you know, your impressions of the changes you've seen in the electric industry and other parts of the energy sector, Vicki. But before we talk about that, um, I'd like to begin, as I do with all of my guests in this podcast, by going back to how you came to be where you are and sort of where you've been. And when I say go back, I, I do mean go way back. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, Midwest, Midwest girl, uh, home of the Indy 500, and right. we're super, super basketball fans, and uh, I always have fun going to the Indiana State Fair, and I'll, I can always tell you some of the delicacies that we have there, but I, I'll leave that off for now. <laughs> okay, so that meant primary school and high school? I went to, sure did, elementary school, high school. And uh, I went on to, to Purdue University, so Hoosier all the way through. And what were you studying at Purdue? At Purdue, 
Well, it might fascinate you to know I started out wanting to be an English major and I wanted to be an English teacher. I loved to read, Rob. Um, one of the fun things my mother did uh, in, in, in my upbringing and just learning to read and, and the enjoyment and the reason why we read, she'd read the funny papers to me. And mm -hmm. I always enjoyed listening to her read the funny papers to me. That was a treat. But then as I got older, we'd take trips to the, the library. And you probably remember this, where you had to go to the library and you read so many books and you get a sure. gold star and all that. Right, right. <laughs> well, I used to be a ferocious reader. I, I could get through about eight, eight books a week. So it's, I don't do that now. I'm not going <laughs> to say I do that now. But uh, It sounds um, like your mother was a very important factor. She was. Influence she was, on you. She was huge in so many, so many ways, yes. Tell me a, about her. Well, she's a very strong lady. Um, you know, she had modest jobs, really. Um, uh, it may surprise you to know that my mother was a domestic, actually, starting out. And then she, she moved on to work for Allison Transmission, and she worked on the line as an inspector. And she just loved the fact that uh, she was able to do that and progress uh, in that way. She was a hard worker, though. She worked different shifts and sometimes double shifts. And uh, I just, I mean, I, I admired her so. But there was just, you know, reading, education was so critical to her, even nutrition from the, you know, making sure that I had breakfast and, you know, I never went hungry. I really never knew that maybe I didn't have all the things that others uh, might have had. Uh, and then the other thing that was very important to her, and we can talk about this later, was the, the um, fact that she always wanted to make sure she voted. My mother would walk in the rain, uh, the snow, whatever it was doing at that time, to make sure that she cast her vote. And and that's and I observed that I really didn't realize the importance of that at as, at all. But but she was so um, determined to do that. No no matter what was going on, no matter what she was struggling to do, uh, she made sure she voted. And and I'm not raising that to be political at all. It was just something truly that I. I remember and I noticed and I know that was important to her. So. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. I, I actually, by coincidence, I just agreed for a, an NGO, a, a voting org, an organization that tries to get people out to vote okay. to, you know, make calls in their behalf. And yes. I, I said, I'm willing to do it. But what I'm going to tell them is no matter who you're voting for, I want you to get out and vote. I want you to get out and vote. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So. When you left college, what was your first job? I sat in the placement office of Purdue University, mm -hmm. and I signed up to visit with Owens, Illinois Glass. Uh huh. And that was my very first job out of college, was working for Owens, Illinois Glass. And it also provided the reason for me to get on the first plane in my life. Uh, leaving home, and I flew down to, to Georgia. The plant was located in a place called Hapeville, Georgia, but but I I, uh, I I did you know I lived outside East Point, Georgia. I think is where I lived, or or what have you. Um, but that was my very first job, and uh, 
I was a labor relations trainee because I majored in management. I, as I said earlier, I started out to be an English teacher because I love to do that. But then something, some bug, you know, uh, got into me and I wanted to really kind of go into management and maybe, you know, rise up in a big corporation. Probably something I read. I don't know. <laughs> but I thought that would be fascinating. And uh, so I uh, I was fortunate enough to get a position with OSL Illinois Glass and I got on my first plane and flew to Georgia and started my my um, professional career that way. And then what took you from Owings to eventually being in the energy sector? Oh, boy. Um, I was invited to come back to Indiana. Uh, I had my roommate at Purdue, her father, was uh, one of the deans at the IU School of Medicine. He asked me to come back and be, uh, take a position with the medical school. And then, uh, as it might happen, I got married at the time when I came back to, to Indiana. My husband was very involved, and he was a, a minority businessman. He was an entrepreneur. So mm -hmm. he was very involved in, in the political scene, you know, different, mm -hmm. either party, what have you. Uh, but at the time, he got to know uh, then uh, Republican Governor Bob Orr. Um, he became aware of a position that was open on the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, and he thought it'd be great for me to apply. So I'm short-circuiting a lot, but I applied. I put my, my name in and all my credentials and everything into that. Uh, long story short, the state legislature sent uh, three names to the governor, and Governor Orr uh, selected me. So wow. that was in 1986. <laughs> and a lot has happened since then, certainly. And a lot. Yes. As I was outlining in terms of your career, let's start with the situation, Vicki, in which, you know, you and I and everyone listening for that matter finds ourselves, the, the global COVID-19 pandemic. What, what have been the impacts in the sectors with which you're most familiar? Well, you know, the, the slowdown. Um, yes, it's had a, an impact on energy. The energy demand, you know, mm -hmm. the, the the changes uh, from the standpoint of the workforce. Um, you know, I'm on the board of PNM Resources out in Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. I'm on the board of Chenier, uh, Equitrans Midstream. All of our people, you know, had been working from home pretty much for some time now. Now, out at in in Albuquerque, folks have to get back to work. You know, you got to keep keep the plants and everything. You got to keep things running. So they've had to do it more. Equitrans, of course, we still have our teams out there, but a lot of the 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 you know senior leadership team are still working from home, and that mm -hmm. and that's the case. I I think Pat uh, Colon has brought most of the senior leadership team has uh, come back into the office if they wanted to. It wasn't a, when it wasn't a requirement, but so many people want were you know were ready to get back to the office. Sure. Uh, at Chenier, because you know being in Houston, Houston was a much more of a hot spot. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, all the, the, the tragedies from, from Hurricane Laura mm -hmm. uh, hitting us. Uh, I mean, it's just been one thing after another uh, uh, somewhat for, for, for us at Chenier. So please keep them um, uh, in your prayers as, as we go along. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a different uh, thinking, how to reimagine the workforce. How will we work in the future? So working from home will change energy demand. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we can 
planned for some things, but this is something probably we hadn't planned for. But we're seeing energy demand come back. Things are, are coming back, but it's very slow and coming back in a, in a different way. And this has been a relatively short period of time. I guess we're talking yes. about six months. Six but months, aren't we? Yes. Over the 30 years that you've been engaged in the broader energy sector, electricity and broader than that, you, you've seen, I assume, some pretty significant changes. What, what stands out for you? If you can think back now across those three decades, um, what stands out of, of some of the highlights of changes that you've observed over that period of time? You know, Rob, you and I, in our travels and times together, you know, we've talked about energy. We've talked about the nexus of energy and the economy. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about the nexus of all two of those, of both of those, to the environment. So you remember we used to talk about the three E's. Right. And as I've come along in, in my professional career, I still see that nexus. The nexus is still there. It changes somewhat. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think I have to, um, you know... I, I think they move together, you know, the environment, the ener uh, energy, and the economy. There is such a, they're, they're so intertwined. Uh, and I think I continue to see that. You asked me what difference is. Um, maybe what I'll say is the difference is, you know, environment, the word environment, the word climate change, or the words climate change, you know, it seems to now conjure up you know, positions or sides. That wasn't the way it was for me coming along, you know. Um, and, I, and I guess I had a good mentor in Senator uh, Richard Luger, who passed away very recently, well, at the beginning of this year. Or, um, and he was one who was very supportive of you know, climate issues. He recognized the importance of climate issues. He was a farmer and he recognized the importance of, you know, he was a strong supporter of climate action because he recognized that, you know, the environment can cause stress on crops, which then has a, a an issue as it relates to, to, to feeding, getting that produce and getting that out to, to feed people, you know, he saw this nexus uh, in, in many, many ways, as a farmer especially, and that brings in, you know, the ability of farmers to, to sell their crops and to do things, so um, he's someone that I, I have just looked up to, uh, he's, he's been such a strong supporter, and he was, and he, he actually... You know, in Indianapolis, in Indiana, he uh, created the Richard G. Luger Center for Renewable Energy. He did that back mm -hmm. in 2007. So, mm -hmm. I mean, he was kind of before his time. And and I was so, I, I'm just grateful that I had that opportunity to see, uh, to to work with him and uh, uh, be around him and, and to see his thought processes on things. Because most people think about him as a foreign foreign relations expert. But uh, there, there was just other sides of him. And he gave an award every year called the Nancy Maloli Award to, to those who he thought were good stewards of, of the environment. And one year I was, I was the recipient of that Oh, that's award, interesting. So. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Well, you, you know, what's striking and will be surprising to our younger listeners um, is that you're, when you're talking about Senator Luger, mm -hmm. who had strong views, what we today call strong progressive views on environment, yes. um, that he was a Republican. I, yes. what, what used to be called a moderate Republican, yes. that, that's, that's, a, that's a phrase now that doesn't have as much application as it had I, in, I in an earlier right. era. Uh, right. And you're also talking about a time, as you pointed out, in which environment was not a polarizing issue as it is today, right? Um, think of the George H.W. Bush administration yes. when the Clean Air Act amendments in 1990 passed with, I think it was 97% of Democrats and 85% of Republicans in the House of Representatives. Correct. That's, that's a remarkable fact that one couldn't picture today. I'm glad you raised that. Yes, exactly. And so I, you know, I, you know, Senator Luger, he just he he believed, and and he's quoted in in, in an article that you know it, it was just important for all of us to even as I mean, as a country to be governed by civility and compassion, and and he worked hard uh, every day and to, to build that consensus, you know mm -hmm. that that's when he felt we could make you know, the best decisions. And mm -hmm. as you raised, he's a Republican. He was a Republican. So uh, I, I just want folks, as they come along, young people especially, to realize that, uh, you know, environment and climate, uh, they, they, you know, the, those shouldn't be positions or size. This is a this is a feeling. This is a thought process. This is a policy. This is, you know, this is something we want to do. So uh, speaking of that and thinking about, climate change and today what's your assessment of the energy sector's performance now in regard to climate change oh it's i think it's very good i mean I, obviously you know i i'm a i'm a believer in we we need it all okay and and, mm -hmm. and that shouldn't surprise you or your or your listeners coming from the background of being a regulator being a commissioner being a assistant secretary department of energy and what i saw internationally mm -hmm. oh my goodness we need it all mm -hmm. um and all have all of our fuel source sources in its diversity is able to to supply you know different needs different regions mm -hmm. even here in the u.s different states different regions but you go around the globe it's even more diverse, the, the fuel sources and the need and the ability, you know, solar, wind, um, geothermal, you know, all the things that you can think of that might help, you know, countries in Africa, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, India, uh, Russia, other places around the world that I have traveled and you yourself we know the importance of being able to use our natural resources and harness our natural resources for our needs and the quality of life. So I, I think here in the U.S. we have done, we made great strides in emissions reduction. Um, and, and I don't have those figures on top of my head, but I, I'm sure you probably do, Rob, and your listeners do. But um, I think we've made great strides uh, in the face of, you know, mandates or regulations or whatever you may say, I think the industry as a whole has said, you know, we want to be good stewards of our envir environment. We want our children and grandchildren to breathe 
clean air as well. You know, uh, another dear friend of mine, uh, Jim Rogers. You know, I guess I'm oh, mentioning gosh. people who have yeah. who have left us. But you know, yeah. what was it? The save a lot. You know, his whole his whole philosophy and his whole thinking towards the environment and policy and all of that. I mean, I can't help but but think of his name as well. Right. Um, he wrote a book not long before he tragically passed away, passed away. Uh, about bringing electricity to uh, sub-Saharan Africa and other poor regions of the world. There you go. He was a wonderful uh, man. Oh, and talk oh. about a progressive force within the electricity sector. Certainly he was. He was. So, yeah. um, so I, I hopefully I've answered your question, but I think, you know, um, Pat, I, I keep talking Pat Colon. I, I just admire her so much, our CEO at uh, mm -hmm. P&M uh, Resources. You know, our governor out there uh, uh, put, put out a, an energy transition, you know, plan. And, and uh, so our CEO said, okay, we will meet those uh, goals by, I think the governor had put in there 2045. Mm -hmm. And we said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to meet those goals by 2040. Uh -huh. And so now people are, you know, trying to say, well, are you going to, and not to our company, but I'm just talking about the industry as a whole, due to this global pandemic, is that going to then mean you're going to, you know, pull back? No, it doesn't mean we're going to pull back, but like everything, it may take, may take somewhat longer or may right. take a different path, right. but we have not reframed those goals at all. Those goals are still there. We still believe in those goals. Let me ask you about uh, young people today. Um, so there have been, I think, youth movements of climate activism, which I, I had not seen until maybe the past, the, the last year in 2019, both in Europe and the United States. Um, what's your reaction to those youth movements of climate activism that we've been seeing? It's important to see. It's mm -hmm. good to see. Um, we need, no pun intended, that kind of energy mm -hmm. to get movement Some many times from our, our state and local uh, leaders and our leaders in Congress and our leaders in the administration. You have to see that you know, the, the millennials or whichever generation you're talking about, they care about these issues. They want to work for, for clean, you know, tech companies uh, where they where they go. They want to know that the the companies, the, the energy companies are, are active in the communities in which they serve, that they're they are um, cognizant of the needs for you know, some call it environmental justice. You want to mm -hmm. look at areas where, you know, from from Indian lands to other areas where and and some, you know, maybe other minority neighborhoods, other places where, you know, energy sources are, are maybe somewhat strained, mm -hmm. you know, but you also have to be cognizant you know, we're trying to move to renewables or we move to move to solar, uh, move to wind. But some of those areas may not be able to economically afford to move as quickly. You know, natural gas is a more economic resources for them. And I'm not trying to make excuses for that. I'm just talking about reality. 
Uh, and uh, so I think it's wonderful to see the young people involved. I mean, you've seen them in that area. You've seen them in, in the social, you know, issues that we're also living in today. Right. And it's been great to see the different faces and to see the interest around the globe. So I think it's good. We, we just have to make sure that we all stay at the table and we don't walk away because we may not get what we want, you know, right. that, that day. It's so important to bring people to the table so that we can discuss these issues and we can kind of understand the different positions and different, you know, different thought processes. So speaking of, of activism, and you, you mentioned uh, environmental justice movement and then social issues today, you just mentioned. Um, I think it's fair to say, Vicki, that the, the brutal killing of George Floyd in May of this yes. year and brutality towards many other black men and women Yes. over decades, indeed centuries, um, has greatly increased national consciousness about personal and systemic racism, Correct. both in the United States and globally. And I wonder if you can say anything about your own perceptions of this, given your truly diverse set of experiences in business yes. and in government over decades. Yes, it has been a, a hard time. Um, the murder of George Floyd that we all witnessed, or those of us who, who did see this uh, video and see it on, on TV and other areas, streaming, all those other things I don't do, um, you can't unsee that. Mm -hmm. And you have to say, you know, why? I mean, why is that happening? Why, why did it turn into that, you know? And even if you, you thought, well, okay, he did something bad, he did something criminal or what have you, and, I mean, all that is, you know, being discussed, but it's like, well, doesn't he at least get to make it to the jailhouse? Yeah, really. <laughs> can he make it, can we make <clears throat> it to the jailhouse? Uh, you know, um, we just, you know, others seem to be able to do that, even though they commit you know, horrendous crimes. They seem to be able <laughs> to mm -hmm. make it to the jailhouse. And, and our, our, our men and women don't. And so people, I mean, we're, we're weary of that. And, mm -hmm. and people are angry about that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they see other segments of society treated differently and, mm -hmm. and given latitudes and benefits of the doubt that other segments are not. So I don't agree with, with violence. And, you know, those of you who know me, I'm, I'm not a sh sharp elbow. I'm not a, you know, loud and, and boisterous kind of individual. Right. But those, you know, they're those who feel that, you know, you don't hear them. You don't hear mm -hmm. their cries. Yes. You don't feel their pain. Mm -hmm. So, and it's like, well, this behavior, unless we we come out and speak loudly this behavior is just going to continue you know mm -hmm. it just seems to to continue and and it's um for me it's a it's a time for reflection uh it's a time for conversation um it's a time to to lend your voice lend your mm -hmm. voice i mean and don't be afraid to you know i think my dear dear friend <laughs> And I say he's only a dear friend because Drew Brees and, and my family can all tell you that I'm a big Drew, 
DuBreeze uh, fan because he graduated from Purdue and I did get uh-huh. to meet him at one point. So, <laughs> but I think he came out and he said something and, you know, at the time it seemed insensitive and what have you. Right. And right. people just jumped all over him and everything. I'm like, folks, <laughs> you know, this is what I'm saying. You gotta say, you know, okay, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why that was insensitive or why it came across insensitive because it's always perception it's about how people perceive uh and and what you bring to that you know a lot of people talk about unconscious biases we all bring our own experiences to things so so i i was telling my my folks i said oh well, no 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 the nfl you know that was just terrible so i said well you know stop a minute this is what we want to do so we have to be tolerant as well it's hurtful it's hurtful rob it it, mm-hmm. it it stuns you and then we've had another you know recent uh horrible incident and you're like what is it that they're thinking at the time these things these these at the time things get escalated why can't why can't we you know deal with that why why can't we deal with that in a different way so so let me ask you then vicky Mm -hmm. as a final question um when you (laughs) when you were talking about climate change policy i I detected optimism rather than pessimism on this issue that we're talking about now Mm -hmm. which is personal and systemic racism in the United States and yes. elsewhere, which I think is absolutely undeniable. Where do you fall as, on that realm from optimistic to pessimistic in terms of where we're going now and into the future? I am optimistic. I believe in America. I've, I have said that through my own public service. I've, I've demonstrated that. You know, and I believe in humanity. I do. And I believe we always aspire to do better but we need our leaders we need our leadership to to help us with that because you know that is all lovely to say but it doesn't happen without leadership okay leadership and character you know what you see in front of you what we teach our children from kindergarten on, you know, they always say what you what you learn in kindergarten, uh, how important that is. So I'm saying, you know, I know, I mean, we are a great country, but we all, I mean, but we continue to strive to do better. And that's what I want to appeal to. I want to appeal to that that better side of us not mm-hmm. not the you know we all have that that other side we all have those biases and things mm-hmm. and it's just part of our, our upbringing and and uh, you know our families families are made up of a you know diverse set of thoughts and opinions and you have to respect that you have to respect other cultures and that's you know my friend Barry Worthington I'm going to miss I know I'm going way too long my friend Barry Worthington who just recently passed away he was the executive director of the United States Energy Association he passed away very suddenly unexpectedly and shockingly a couple weeks ago but his whole life's work was spent you know thinking about the quality of life for others Mm -hmm. um he spent his life work doing this, focused on developing countries, focusing on improving 
what was out there for focusing on what was and how to maintain what we have the quality of life not only here domestically but around the globe and once again that brings me back to to energy through the access to energy for Mm -hmm. for people of all Mm -hmm. cultures and and trust me his life was made so much richer for that so i want us all to have that rich experience of different cultures and trying to to put yourself maybe in an uncomfortable position and ask the questions and have the conversation. Uh, and don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to, to open up. I mean, it, it just kind of keeps us uh, uh, eager and, and optimistic about life. So, so I'm optimistic. Well, that's a perfect place to bring our conversation to a close. Thank you very much, Vicki, for having taken this time to join us today. Our guest today has been Vicki Bailey, who brings 30 years of experience in high-level national and international corporate executive and government positions in the energy sector. Please join us for the next episode of Environmental Insights, Conversations on Policy and Practice from the Harvard Environmental Economics Program. I'm your host, Rob Stavens. Thanks for listening. Environmental Insights is a production from the Harvard Environmental Economics Program. For more information on our research, events, and programming, visit our website, www.heap.hks.harvard.edu.